great singing. You can have a seat. We want to uh, <clears throat> welcome our chapel and our Cactus Campus in Northridge, and then certainly uh, all of you who've been with us online. I, I know it was said earlier, but we just want to be clear about this week. We have uh, Thursday and Friday, the 23rd, 24th, we have Christmas Eve services. So a few years ago, we started doing them uh, two days before Christmas, as well as the day before Christmas, because of making room for everyone. So please choose a day, a time, a campus, and, and we look forward to celebrating Christ's birth, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, on, uh, as we make our way up toward Christmas. And then on the 26th, because it falls so close to our 22 different Christmas Eve services, uh, on the 26th, we provide... We're providing a very special uh, home worship uh, on demand. And, you know, this isn't some canned thing. We've been working for weeks on this. I'll be recording the message this week. We've chosen a, a theme that goes with the power of Christmas on rest. And so we hope that all of you will take advantage of that wherever you might be, whether it be home or on the road or with family, and maybe invite some people over. That's what it's designed for. And, uh, and, and we hope that you'll take advantage of that on the 26th. So uh, pray for your church. We've got a lot going on this week. We have <clears throat> probably the, the between now and, and Easter Sunday, these are, are definitely our high times. We'll have more visitors uh, coming to your church, our church this week than almost any other time of the year. Uh, many of them we won't see for another year or until Easter. And, and so we try to give them a special message about Jesus and, and our faith and, and pray that God uses that. So uh, please be praying for us this week. Today we are in the third installment of our Christmas series called The Power of Christmas. Today is called The Power of Grace or the power of God's grace. And I just gotta tell you guys, and, and you know this about me, I've told you this a thousand times, um, I, you don't have to wind me up to talk about grace. I, I am so enamored with God's grace as we all should be, it's the heart of who he is. Somebody once said to me years ago, peel back the onion of who God is, layer after layer, and you're gonna find at the core, grace because his grace is the only reason he has forgiven us that he's involved in our lives. It's grace that has saved us and grace that leads us home. And so I can't wait to share this message with you. Now, I'm gonna ask you to stand one last time in this series, uh, one last time as we go to our gospel reading today. This is a story that so many of you are familiar with, but I'm not sure you've ever seen it <clears throat> through the eyes of grace. So let's read now. You follow along as I read and see if you can pick out some grace in this. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, an, uh, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. 
And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You may be seated. May God add his blessing to uh, the reading of his word. I want you guys bow with me and let's give this time over to him. Father, thank you for these well-known, well-worn Christmas stories that we're taking a look at through fresh eyes this month. What if I don't miss my guess? All of us, most of us, are familiar with the shepherds. We've at least seen them on a Christmas card or a manger scene. And Lord, we want to talk about them today, and we want to understand them rightly. Help us to understand how 2,000 years ago, when you prepared this story, help us understand how you wanted us to see it and the grace that's in it. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So when you think about it, the uh, story we just read really is wild, and more so it's unexpected. It's wild and unexpected. I mean, Joseph and Mary are alone in a barn or a cave giving birth to the Savior of the world. We saw that in week one, the incarnation, Jesus, come to forgive us of our sins as the second person of the Trinity. And who is it? that God decides to announce this to first and invite to the heavenly party a couple of or a few shepherds. When people tell me that the Bible is just a bunch of made-up stories, I know for a fact it's not true. Because if you were going to make up a story about the Son of God coming to this earth, I promise you, you would not have him born in a barn or a cave, and you certainly wouldn't invite shepherds to the baby shower. Uh, That is not how you'd make up this story. It's so raw, it's so unexpected, it has to be real. You see, folks, shepherds back then were not uh, highly thought of by most good Jews. They weren't. In fact, most of the Jewish leaders back then, as well as the Greco-Roman leaders, had a rather low estimation of shepherds. And the reason was somewhat deserved. Shepherds in the first century were, generally speaking, rather lowly, burly, and a rough-cut group of men. Many of them were dishonest in their jobs, as they often allowed other sheep to graze in someone else's pasture, and they didn't care about that at all. As a result of this, shepherds were forbidden to be a witness in a court of law because they couldn't be trusted to give an honest account of anything that they witnessed. So to be sure, listen to how one expert historian says it. He says, and I quote, shepherds were on the bottom of the social scale in Israel being poor, burly, rough, and dishonest. (laughs) Kind of blows away the Christmas card scene that you get, isn't it? I mean, you know, we, we get the Christmas card thing. We think these shepherds are like, you know, akin to Mother Teresa or something like that. They're there all dressed up nice and so meek and mild, you know, looking over at Jesus. And, and there's some truth to that. We'll see what happens when they get to Jesus in a minute. But that, that's not the first century image of a shepherd. The first century image was, again, these are rough, burly, rather dishonest, kind of low on the scale in, in Israel's eyes, a, a group of men. And so when it says that the angel first appeared to a bunch of shepherds, it would be surprising at the very least to any good Jew back then. And the question that would be flooding their minds as they heard this story for the first time is why? That's a really good question to ask. Why would God see fit to have the shepherds be first in line 
to see the Son of God coming into this world. I mean, in their minds, again, the Jewish leaders' minds, they'd be saying, well, why didn't you invite a Pharisee? I mean, a Pharisee is a religious leader back then who was ultra-moral, been waiting for God to show up. Why didn't you invite a zealot? A zealot back then was somebody who was fighting against the crazy Roman culture of that time, like some of you fight against the culture around us, and they were doing so in God's name. Why didn't they invite in a scene? In a scene back then was somebody who had retreated from culture to wait for the coming Messiah. You got all these religious quarterbacks, and God invites the water boys uh, to the party. And again, they'd be wondering, why is this so? And the answer to this query tells us loads about God, and it's where we find the grace in all of this. And it's our first of two points this morning, and it's this. You don't want to miss this. And that is that it tells us that God's grace can reach anyone. That's the power of Christmas in this story, that God's grace can reach anyone. But why did the angel first appear to a bunch of cultural misfits and spiritual rejects? Listen, because they were seemingly far away from God. They were on par with the kind of people that Jesus would hang out with most of his life, tax collectors and sinners. And they were the ones who, though seemingly needed God the most, because we all need God. I mean, that's the point. What Luke's trying to make clear here is that the reason that God chose the shepherds is to communicate to you and to me that he can reach anybody he chooses, and his grace in that sense is indiscriminate. And so looking at this story more closely, notice the words and the message that the angel gives to anyone who seems to be beyond God's grasp as represented by the shepherds. Look at what God does with them, because this will change everything. In verses 10 through 12, it says, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. This is going to be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then he says, it'll be a sign to you, go and find the baby in the manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. So I put it there in yellow because it's the gospel. Like, again, talk about a spoiler alert. Right at Jesus' birth, once again, the gospel is communicated in no uncertain terms. Good news, great joy for everyone. What? A Savior who is the Messiah. Christ means Messiah. And so right there at the beginning, the angel's announcing to the shepherds that, hey, you guys aren't all that religious. You probably only go to church on Christmas and Easter, that type of thing. But, but here's what I need you to know right now. What your hearts have been longing for, what inside you really want to see happen between you and God can now be made possible. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be saved from them. That's what that word savior means. And, and the deliverer, who I've been promising, <clears throat> is now here. Don't miss this, gang. It's a message of grace. And did you catch it? It's for all the people. I've said this a thousand times to you. Christianity is not some narrow-minded, exclusive religion no, it's the most inclusive thing to ever hit planet Earth because the Bible says, and Jesus says, come ye, come all, come anyone to drink and find their thirst quenched. Please see this, folks. Rooted smack dab in the middle of the Christmas story is God's grace calling any and all to himself through Jesus Christ. 
He shows up on the scene in this little baby in a way never be done before, in a way that's never gonna be done again. And the first one that he tells about this, the first ones are the least likely in everybody's minds. <laughs> There's something in that for you and me today. Because the point is, is that God's grace is powerful enough to reach anyone that you and I might rub shoulders with today or anyone that we even know of. To put it mildly, there's a lot of shepherds out there today <laughs> and, and they need Jesus and, and he, God, is heaven bent on reaching them. And all we gotta do is get out of the way and let him do what he does best. Some of you have heard me over the years mention C.S. Lewis. Here's a, a picture of him. Lewis uh, died the month before I was born. So I talk about two ships passing in the night. I, I, I miss Lewis by, by that little. Uh, Lewis, as some of you know, was a late convert to Christianity. Before that, he was a professor of literature at Oxford and Cambridge. He kind of switched hit between the, the two uh, British universities. And, and, and Lewis was not a very likely candidate to become a Christian. If you'd asked most people that knew him before he became a Christian and said, you know, hey, do you think uh, old Clive is gonna become a Christian? They're like, no, I don't think so. He was rooted in academia. He was rooted in more of a secular slash deistic mindset of the world and, and loved literature, didn't really love theology. Uh, but God, whom we're seeing today is, in his grace, who was always looking for those far-off shepherds, set his eye on C.S. Lewis. And it's actually a fascinating story how Lewis came to Christ because he, he, he became intellectually convinced of Christianity before he wanted to willfully submit. Can any of you relate? In other words, he knew it was true. And, and he knew that out of all the different worldviews that he could pursue, this one was the best explanation for the world around him and for God. And we're all fallen, we're all sinners, that's why there's evil in the world, that's why there's evil in me. But God, who says you can't work your way to heaven, has given us grace in Jesus, the full forgiveness of our sins, that then when we accept him, he gets us on the road to becoming better people. I mean, for Lewis, it all fit together. The only problem was he didn't want to give up his life. <laughs> he didn't want to become one of those crazy Christians and, and he had the world by the tail. So this is what he writes in his autobiography. He says, I was dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God, eyes darting left and right for some means of escape. That's why most people love Lewis. Can you get more honest than that? And he did finally submit the most unlikely of candidates, it's why people love C.S. Lewis. God's grace can reach anyone. And so here's what I want you to do right now. This is gonna be very important for you and I because I'm gonna personalize it for your world right now. I want you to think of one or two people in your life right now, even someone maybe that you know of from a distance, one or two people who are seemingly really far from God. I want each of you to do that right now, Cactus. Chapel, Northridge, everybody online. I want you to think right now about somebody in your life or that you have an interaction with maybe on TV or from afar that, that is really far from God. And, and I'm talking about a person, you gotta laugh at this because we all have this, that you just have real trouble seeing becoming like you. That, that you have trouble seeing ever wanting to go to church, let alone belt out a song to God. Somebody who would ever want to open this book and study it and like it. 
somebody who would ever want to go to a prayer meeting or, or maybe write a big check out of generosity. I mean, you, you guys have people like that in your life or you know people like that. Somebody who would actually share your moral value system that stems from your, your Christian faith. I want you to think of somebody in your life that is seemingly really far from God and you have trouble picturing ever coming to Christ. Maybe it's a cynical family member. We all got those. Maybe it's an old friend or neighbor who thinks you're way too religious. Maybe it's a work associate or a fellow student who teases you mercilessly about your beliefs. Or maybe, as I hinted to earlier, it's a cultural leader or a politician that you see often on the news and your blood just boils every time they open their mouth. I want you to think of somebody who seemingly is far away from God. Get that person or two in your mind's eye. And here's what I need you to realize today. You ready for this? In God's economy, they could very well be this close to coming to Christ and leading a life of joyful submission to him. How do I know this? <laughs> because we have so many stories in the Bible as well as in the history of the world where we were duped. We thought somebody was really far from God and they were a gnat's eyelash from submission to him. Nobody saw Matthew the tax collector coming into the kingdom of God. Nobody saw all those sinners coming into the kingdom of God through Jesus. Nobody saw Paul the apostle coming. Nobody saw C.S. Lewis coming. Watch this, because you guys see me as awfully religious. I wasn't raised in a religious home. Nobody saw Jamie Rasmussen coming. Nobody thought when I was a snot-nosed 17-year-old rebellious high school student that I would in one year be bending the knee to Jesus and eventually going into the ministry. Why? Because nobody sees the shepherds coming. We've sanitized the shepherds today. We put them on Christmas cards and make them look all nice and neat. That is not the image that Luke wants us to have here. He says these shepherds represent the people who everybody thought would not be first in line, and yet Jesus makes them first in line. And here's what you and I need to understand is that the more we sit in seats in church, the more we attend our Bible studies, the more we get enculturated into our, our sub Christian subculture, which is not bad, none of those are bad things. The danger is we forget that God is most active out there and he's calling a lot of shepherds still into his kingdom. And that's why I said earlier, really our job is not only understand God's work here on earth, but to get out of the way and start to be part of the solution, uh, not part of the problem. You know, uh, if some of you were, were paying real close attention here, and I know some of you are, uh, you know that there are times when I uh, pick on a couple of cultural icons today, and, and I kind of pick on them brutally, if you will. I, I do it for a reason, you'll hear why in a minute, but, but you've probably heard me in the past pick on Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones and, and Howard Stern of Sirius XM Radio. And, and the reason I pick on them is because one, they've put themselves in the public spotlight, so you know they, they, they're, they're the ones that put themselves out there. And they are unashamedly decadent, they are unashamedly rebellious. I mean, when Mick Jagger was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame years and years ago, after 25 years with the Rolling Stones, he said it all. He, he, he said that night in Cleveland, he said, it's ironic that, that we are here tonight on our best behavior, 
uh, all dressed up and looking so nice, being honored for 25 years of bad behavior. And that says it all. And so for years, I, I've kind of picked on Mick Jagger and Howard Stern as sort of the poster children for decadence and sin, uh, at least in my generation. Here's what you don't know, because I probably don't say it often enough. There are times in my office when I'm having a moment of reflection, and I will actually take five or 10 minutes and dream what it might be like, what it would be like if Howard Stern ever became a Christian, or if Mick Jagger got excited about Jesus. Can you imagine if one of those guys, because they're not beyond God's reach, that's what we're learning today, they are not beyond the reach of his grace. Can you imagine if Howard Stern got excited about Jesus and what he would say on his radio program tomorrow? No curse words, no overt sexuality, no crassness. He'd get on and say, praise God, I want to talk to you about the Savior. Can you imagine Mick Jagger saying, I'm not going to sing any of those terrible songs anymore? The songs that, by the way, many of you like and dance to grow up. He said, I'm not going to sing any of those anymore. He goes, now I'm going to sing songs that are submitted to God, my Savior. Can you even imagine? See, the problem is, you and I have such a low view of God's grace, we really do, that we can't even imagine something like that. We think that they're beyond the reach. Because I know some of you think, you're thinking, well, Jamie, that's never going to happen. <laughs> Here's what you need to know. Nobody thought the shepherds would be at Jesus' birth. Nobody thought Matthew, the tax collector, would be one of his closest followers. Nobody ever thought Paul the apostle would become a Christian. He was killing Christians. The whole history of the Bible, the whole history of the world, is how God in his grace reaches the seemingly really far away. And one of the reasons that doesn't happen to some of us is because I don't think we really believe he can and will do that. That's why I want you to think of somebody in your life who is seemingly really far away. And if you get nothing else out of day, nothing else, please understand that God can and many times does reach them. And it's a game changer. Now, once we get this, that this is the power of God's grace here as shown in the shepherds. There's one further issue we need to contend with, and it's a really important issue, and that is how precisely do we know if that grace that he's wooing all people to himself with is actually working? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, outside of them, you know, coming to church with you, which might be a high bar initially, how do we know if his grace is making a dent how do we know if any spiritual sparks are flying? What do we look for? And this leads us to the second key thing that the story of the shepherds at Jesus' birth reveals to us about God's amazing grace. And this one takes us a little bit further and helps us to understand what to look for in those around us that we before never thought could come to God's grace, but God, as we sing today, is bent on reaching them. So what are we to look for as his grace begins to get through. And, and most simply put, here's the point, and it's going to seem vanilla, but we'll add some, some flavor to this, and that is that God's grace is best understood, is best seen operative in somebody's life when it begins to be received. In other words, God's grace must be received. It's a cooperative effort. If God didn't say his grace needs to be received, that all you have to do is have it thrown at you, then everybody be saved. Amen. 
So obviously, his grace has to be cooperated with. The message of Jesus has to be interacted with and people to receive that. We'll see that more in a minute here. And, and, and though this might sound so simple, what, what you need to see today in our story is a fascinating process of how the shepherds show us on how they receive God's grace. A, a process or journey that I'm gonna walk you through right now that they engaged in as they were initially confronted with the angel's words and with God's grace. And to turbo this along, I'm gonna give you the three aspects of this journey right up front. So for those of you who take notes, you can write this down and then just listen closely. And that is that the shepherds began by seeking and that led to seeing and it ended with submission. That's the process of receiving God's grace, seeking seeing and submitting. That's how the shepherds show us they receive. First, notice it all begins with them seeking in response to hearing about Jesus. Very quickly, look at what verses 15 and 16 say. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. It's fascinating. I know I've thrown a lot at you today, but, but notice the detailed words that, that Luke gives here in his description that, that, that identify this ardent seeking process of the shepherds. It says they started to say to one another. One commentator says they continually started to say to one another. So they were talking a lot about this angel and the message. And then it says, let us go over to Bethlehem. Some think, well, okay, they just went to the next town. That, that phrase, go over, is one Greek word that literally means to make a beeline. It means that they went directly to Bethlehem. They didn't stop to get a Slurpee at Circle K. They went right to Bethlehem. And, and why? And then to make sure that we understand that, they went with haste. And, and so they went efficiently and quickly. So add it all up. They're continually talking about this thing that has happened to them. They're going in a straight and intentional line, and they're doing it with haste and efficiency. See, here's the point. They were in active seeking mode, and they were seeking even though they didn't really have any answers yet or any proof yet, and that's the point is that you and I can start to look, and I don't miss this, for, for little signs in those around us, because I got people in my life that I think are really tough nuts to crack, and we can start to, to look in their lives. Are they, are they showing any signs of seeking in response to God's grace? You're saying signs like what? Well, are they asking any questions? Are they willing to talk? Are they willing to interact with God's truth in the scriptures? Are they willing to even attend a winter wonder or an alpha course that we offer for people that are investigating the claims of Christ? I've said it this way for years. Is there any... Is there any chink in their armor at all? Do you see a little crack? Because when I look close, I start to see that some of these people I've written off are actually a bit more open, a bit more wrestling than it first meets the eye. These shepherds, these rough, burly, not so very moral shepherds left their fields and they embarked on a trip to go and seek out Jesus. And that's the first sign that they are gonna be receiving him. 
And now notice the second crucial part of the progression when one is responding to God's grace in Jesus, and that is the seeing part, the seeing part. By the way, they haven't received yet. They're just now seeing. Uh, look at how it says it in verses 16 through 18. It says, and they, the shepherds, went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Uh, three things real quickly I put there in, in yellow for it. Obviously, they, they saw. So they were investigating to, to such a point that they had to see it for themselves. They wanted to experience Jesus himself. And so they, they went and actually, in, in a tactile way, they, 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 they saw and touched Jesus. And then they put two and two together and they started to make known what was told to them in the fields and they're trying to put this together. So we're seeing it right now. Uh, the Bible, the angel says this is a, a savior, the Messiah, the Christ, who can give joy and peace and purpose to my life. And, and they're putting those two and two things together and they're starting to now to spiritually see what this might mean for them. And then it says that those who are there wondered. It's actually a bad word translation there because the word really means astonished. It's not like they wondered in the sense of, I don't know what's happening here. It's more like, oh my gosh, look at this. It's like that awe type of wonderment. The light was starting to go on in everybody's head. That's the point, that these shepherds did not stop their, 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 their journey with just seeking, but, but they sought to the point that they started to see that the light started to go on in their head. And as we all know, if you start to seek that way, you're eventually, over time, very likely to find what you're looking for. I love watching this process. I don't know about you guys, but I have enough you know, people in my life that are cynical and, and, and what have you and all that. And, and I love it when I start to see them just show some interest and start to seek. And, and I love it when the light starts to go on in their head. It was a long time ago, but I remember it like it was yesterday. My, my little brother, Pete, because uh, neither of us were raised in a religious home at all, finally got sick and tired, I think, of me badgering him about my Christian faith. And uh, when he moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan, he decided to start to seek. I think part of it had to do with the fact that he had little kids at the time and, you know, just something in him that said, I, I just need to seek. And so he started to seek out uh, the Christian faith. And I've told this story before. I, I tried to get in the way and help him because, you know, I'm the pastor and all that. And I, I just ruined it every time I did. I could tell you story after story of how I became a train wreck when I got involved. So I just sort of said, okay, I'm going to stay in Detroit. I'm going to let him in Grand Rapids just, just find his way. Obviously, God is in control of this whole thing. And to make a very long story short, for about a year long, Peter sought the Lord. He went to Bible studies. He went to a little church down the corner. I knew nothing about the church. Was it a good church or not a good church? And, and, and he started to, to ask a lot of questions. After about a year, we were talking on the phone one night, and it was a really weird conversation. He said to me at one point in the conversation, he said, hey, do you know that dad doesn't believe in the resurrection? I said, well, yeah, I did, but why, why are you bringing that up? He said, well, I was talking to me the other day, and I was talking about some of the things I've been investigating, and he basically said, ah, you know, that's just not really true. He didn't really rise from the dead, literally, and da, da, da. And I said to him in a moment of <laughs> absolute tenderness, I said, well, Pete, do you believe in the resurrection? He said, yeah, I do. He said, I think there's more to this than I realized. And within just a couple of weeks, he accepted Christ as his Savior. His life has never been the same since then. You see, that's how this seeing process begins to work. You can't push it. You can't even try to get in the way. You gotta be careful here. You're not in control of this. God is. 
<laughs> and, and God wanted me to step out of the way and stay in the ring, but, you know, to be there gently, but to allow him to do his work in my brother. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen that work in such a profound way. And so you got seeking, you got seeing, and then what my brother experienced is exactly what the shepherds show us, and that is that there's this point of surrender. It's what C.S. Lewis did when he came kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. It says in verses 19 and 20 as it wraps this story up, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Here it is. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Here's one of the problems that you and I have today with, with our Christian subculture. And it's not bad. It's just a, it's a little bit narrow compared to the history of the world. We have tend to make, made salvation or make salvation kind of formulaic. Have you ever noticed that, Rich? Like we basically say to somebody, I'm going to share with you the four laws. And, and when I share with you the four laws, then you're going to pray a prayer or you're going to come to church and walk an aisle. And, and only then can you actually technically call yourself saved. The problem is that the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the only thing you need to do to be saved is to believe, to trust, to surrender in your heart of hearts that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is your Savior, that he is your Lord. And that's an internal thing that, yes, over time will show itself in our behaviors, but there's many ways in the Bible that this occurs, and you're seeing one of them right here. I mean, this is actually a humorous scene here because you, you got to believe, I mean, from what you know as shepherds, are they the kind of people who would run through the fields back then glorifying and praising God like Julie Andrews in the start of The Sound of Music? I don't think so. I, I mean, the shepherds' union would have been all over them for that one, saying, what's gotten into you guys? You're acting like a bunch of pansies or something like that. I don't know. Uh, all I know is, is that these guys were turned on to Jesus in that moment. And the reason I know that is because of the two operative words. These are very religious words, glorifying and praising. That word glorifying means to honor. That word praise means to lavish worth. Wow. So they were honoring God and praising God through Jesus, giving more worth to him than anything else in their lives at that point, that sure sounds to me like salvation, amen? That sure sounds to me like somebody who's gone from seeking to seeing to submission. And that's all about receiving. John, who I always had a poetic way of saying it, would say it this way, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who are born not of blood or of the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. One of the reasons you guys don't need to wind me up about grace <laughs> is because if it wasn't for his grace, I would have never gotten saved. If it wasn't for his grace, I still wouldn't be your pastor. And if it wasn't for his grace, I'm not gonna make it to heaven even from this point because his grace is that powerful. His grace at the end of the day is the most profound, potent thing that we get from God. And the shepherds teach us about his grace. And so my parting shot to you is this. This Christmas season, as you interact with family, friends, work associates, fellow students, even cultural leaders that you might see from a distance, 
How about giving them a little grace? How about cutting them a little slack? How about applying 1 Corinthians 13 where it says love is patient, love is kind? I'm not asking you to drop your values. <laughs> I'm not asking you to not have your convictions. You need to have all of that. But as you interact with others, think of the shepherds. Think of them out in their field, doing their own thing, minding their own business, living their secular, decadent lives, stealing from other people's pastures, and how the angel went to them first. And right when the birth happened, the angel said, I'm not going to the synagogue, I'm going to the fields, because that's the God you serve. <laughs> His grace has saved you, and you ought to wake up every day and thank him for it. And don't read your own press releases. He knows better. If it wasn't for his grace, you'd be nothing. And he's got a lot more people out there that he wants to reveal his grace to. Let you and I be a part of the solution. Stop being part of the problem. Let's pray. God, thank you for all that you are to us. Thank you that your grace is so tender yet is so potent that it's everything that we need. And thank you that your grace comes to us in Jesus this little baby who would grow up to be our savior and the one who can earn or get, get us into heaven as he earned it on our behalf. God, I pray that as we give thought to people in our lives this week, because it's a big week, God, a lot of family, a lot of friends, a lot of parties, a lot of interactions. God, I pray everybody from the service providers that we might rub shoulders with to the, the people out there in culture, every time we're watching TV, certainly with family, friends, relatives, God, may we think of the shepherds. And when we think how they were the first ones invited to this baby shower, because your grace is that powerful, can reach anyone. May we keep that in the forefront of our minds. And may we also remember that your grace is powerful enough to keep us. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.